0: If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to take them this morning and uh, dig into the Old Testament. You might have to tear those pages apart a little bit and uh, sweep off some of the dust, but go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, Good luck. Uh, You'll find it. Use the index in the front if you need to. We'll have the verses on the screen, but Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to spend a little time in a few verses there, so keep that page open or put a bookmark in there. Uh, As we're in the final week, of this series that we have been calling um, I Heart. And, and today I want to talk with you about what it means uh, for you and me to love our community, uh, to love our community, to love the place where we live, to love those places where we work, uh, to love our community as Jesus loves our community, to see our community, the people around us is the way that Jesus sees them. And, and to love where you live uh, doesn't mean that you're satisfied simply blending in. Uh, that you want more than that, you want God to do more in you, and you are ready and willing uh, to make a positive contribution to your community in the name of Jesus Christ. And in thinking about that, uh, a question came to mind. Um, if you could choose anywhere in the United States to live, uh, where would you pick? Uh, How many of you would say that you're beach people? And you've got a beach in mind. There's a beach that automatically comes to mind, whether that be in Florida or the Carolinas or California or something. Okay, we got two hands up in the back for one person. She's like, beach, absolutely. Uh, How many of you would say that you're mountain people? Like you get to the outdoors, all right, we got some hands around the room. Maybe you're a Colorado kind of a person or a Wyoming kind of a person. Uh, Maybe, uh, you know, up even in the the northeast or something like you'd say you're an outdoor. How many of you would say that you're a big city? City person. You know, if you had your choice, you'd pick New York City or LA. Anybody choose a a crazy life like that? No one. That's why we all live in central Indiana, right? Uh, You you don't want that kind of a life. Well, uh, this past week, uh, Jenny and I and our kids we had the opportunity to go back to St. Joseph, Michigan for a few days to visit some friends and St. Joseph is right across the lake directly across the lake from Chicago uh, and we lived there for 5 years and and if you've never spent much time in Michigan I know that Michigan gets a bad rap because of you know some of the challenges with the economy but Michigan is an incredible state. I mean it really is from top to bottom the upper peninsula I mean it's really gorgeous and there are gorgeous communities all over the state and, and especially a community like St. Joe. And as we spent a few days there and the weather was perfect and being at the beach, you know, not only they have the beaches, but they've got the sand dunes and plenty of things to do outdoors. I got to be honest and say, I I caught myself, you know, from time to time saying, really, I mean, central Indiana, I mean, why did we ever move away from a place like Michigan? But it didn't take long before I remembered. It snows like nine months out of the year there. All right. And and it's gray. And that's why we moved away. But, But if you could pick anywhere, any community to live in, where would you go? I was on the uh, internet this past week doing some research, looking at some of the top places to live in the country. Thought you might be interested to find that If you want the best bargain for a home, uh, most for your buck, you might move to uh, Minot, North North Dakota. Uh, You can move there. Uh, Stats say that on average, you can get a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath home for about $132,000. All right, best, best bang for your buck there. Right, okay, how about the best weather, the warmest weather in the country? Uh, that would be Yuma, Arizona, where it's sunny 340 days a year. The average humidity is about 36%, uh, if you don't mind it being 105 most of the year round. All right, that's Yuma, Arizona. Uh, the smartest city in the country, you know where the smartest city is? Boulder, Colorado, uh, according to one statistic. Now, on the other side of it all, you know what the dumbest city to live in? It's this one right here, Las Vegas. Believe it or not, according to one one poll, uh, if if you're single and you want to find someone to marry, you know, the best chance at finding someone else, you move to Austin, Texas. Uh, In fact, CNN rated the 100 best small cities to live in in America. And you know that Fishers was number eight. Uh, of 100 cities, smallest cities in America, Fishers was ranked number eight. Now, I want to know the person that put that together, if they have ever tried to merge from Route 37 onto I-69 at like at 7.30 in the morning and tell me whether that's a great city to live in or not, all right? still got some work to do there. But, you know, here's the thing. We don't have any mountains. We don't have any beaches here, you know, in central Indiana and Noblesville. But, but I think most of us would say that when it comes to a community like Noblesville, it's a pretty nice place to live. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're pretty fortunate. We're pretty blessed. I mean, why do people choose to live here? Well, I, I think we could point out that the economy isn't as bad. You know, here in a place like, like Hamilton County, there are great schools and, and great parks. Uh, it's easy to get around. It's, it's a great place to raise a family. You know, and this part of Indiana really offers some amazing benefits for living. You know, many reasons to live in a place like Noblesville. But do you know that God has more in mind for you And for your family and for your life and your purpose and your role and choosing and living in a place like Noblesville or Anderson or Fishers or Elwood, wherever that may be, he's got a lot more in mind for you than just a really nice place to live. If you're in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, beginning in verse uh, 4, here's how the words read. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, right here, we've got a 2,600-year-old letter to God's people living in Babylon. Now, Babylon would be our modern-day Iraq today, just to give you some perspective. And in 597 BC, the city of Jerusalem was conquered, ruthlessly conquered, by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar was a, uh, while Nebuchadnezzar uh, was a ferocious warrior, while he was this ferocious king, he had a not-so-ruthless way of dealing with those people that he conquered. He, he, he would wind, uh, round up the, the best and the brightest. He, he'd get all of the most educated, the best-looking of all the people. He, he would get them together from this captured city, and he would take them with him back to the city of Babylon. Now, you've heard the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before, That's these guys. They're in this group that are being taken that are being exiled back to babylon And he would have taken these gifted people back to babylon and resettled them and and he would guard them lightly But for the most part give them many of the same freedoms that the people of babylon experience and his hope was that over time They would just kind of blend in that over time they would assimilate into the culture, and that this would be a great win for Babylon as they would contribute uh, to the culture there. But, but then at the same time, Nebuchadnezzar realized that he wouldn't have to deal with them anymore. There was no chance of them you know, rising up again in Israel and, and, and fighting back. And, and by the time Jeremiah 29 rolls around, we've got a bunch of people, a bunch of God's people, uh, living away from home in exile in this great nation, in this great place called Babylon. Now, one day, this guy named Hananiah starts spreading a rumor amongst God's people that Nebuchadnezzar's regime was going to fall and that all of the Israelites would soon be going home. And so it was like everyone started packing a bag. You know, when you were ready to have a baby, you probably had a bag packed to get ready to go to the hospital. And and that's kind of the attitude of everyone else. They had a bag packed. that, as soon as his regime fell, you know, the buses, the trains, they were all heading back to Israel and they'd get the first one out of town. But then God sends this prophet Jeremiah onto the scene to kind of clear up some of the confusion and tell people the truth about what was happening Now, what does he say? Jeremiah tells him you need to go home and unpack I mean if you've got a backpack, you need to put everything away In fact, it's going to be 70 years before anyone returns to jerusalem Now what's the significance of a number like 70? Well by this time in history, no one lived beyond the age of 70 and so you do the math What it basically means is no one in their lifetime was going to ever see jerusalem again No one was going home anyone that was a part of this initial group of exiles. They would never see jerusalem again Now knowing the context Listen to these words from jeremiah again verse 4. This is what the lord almighty the god of israel says to all those I carried into exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce Marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters Increase in number there do not decrease now now here's the main part and this is kind of the verse that we're going to look at for the rest of our time this morning also Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile pray to the lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper. Again, God is saying, hey, you're not going back to Jerusalem. No one's going back home. And it's not like God is saying, you know what, deal with it. you know, get used to it, people. You know, God's up to a bunch of different things here, but he's saying saying more than just deal with it. Make this your home, build houses, raise your family, increase in number. Don't just make it about you. And while you're at it, as you live your life, as you are seeking to do more than just blend in, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have called you. Pray for its prosperity, because if it prospers, you prosper too. Now, I think that God is saying something really important uh, to the people, you know, living 2,600 years ago. But I think he has something pretty important to say to you and me today. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. That when it comes to your community... I want to challenge you this morning. This is a challenge for me and it's a challenge for you that when it comes to your community, when it comes to where you live, when it comes to the neighborhood, the schools that God has put you in, do more than just blend in. Really seek to make a difference. Understand your call from God. I want to challenge you to love your community and to love your community in a way that God loves your community, in a way that God loves the people around you. And I want to bring this series to an end this morning, once again again, looking at what it means for you and me to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. What does that look like in everyday living? And until Jesus returns, what is it that God has in mind for each of us, for this church? And what does it mean for you and I to love our communities as the way that Jesus Christ loves our community? And so as a way of doing that, there are three words uh, that come out of these few verses in Jeremiah here that I think will help us get our minds around what this looks like. And so again, if you're taking notes, the first word that I want you to write down is the word exiles. Write down the word exiles, that... You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, just like these people living 2,600 years ago, living in Babylon, you and I, too, are like exiles. Just as they were, we are like exiles. Now, the word exiles, when, when when I read it, when I say it, it doesn't have a very positive ring to it. Uh, It doesn't sound like a good thing, and it makes me think of someone who's being sent away. But the idea of living as an exile in a foreign place uh, falls right in line with a picture uh, that the New Testament teaches us about what following Jesus Christ in this world really looks like. Uh, Take, for example, John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, uh, John 17 is a a portion of a very significant prayer that Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven before he was captured and eventually crucified. And in this prayer, Jesus used words like these. He says, those you gave me out of this world. He was talking about his disciples, but he's talking about more than just his disciples, and he's talking about us. He, He says, I will remain no longer, but they will. They will remain. They're not going anywhere. Protect them, Father. Protect them in the power of your name that they may be one. And and then he says, even though I'm leaving, don't take them out of the world. I am sending them. You know, Jesus says, I am sending them. These are a people that are on mission. And this is where we get the idea that, that Christ followers are sent people. If you were here last week and had a chance to hear our guest speaker, Kim Hammond, he talked about what it means to be a sent person, to be a sent people, to be on mission from God. You know, as a follower of Jesus, you and I are sent. We are on mission that you and I have been left uh, with God's work to carry out the message of the good news to this world. And and it's a difficult world. I mean, it's a world that we are constantly coming up against where we're continually facing a a, a system of opposing values. You know, a a world of power, a world of deceit and of self-will. It's a battle with Satan himself that we live in. Uh, Look at a portion of what Jesus prays in John chapter 17, uh, continuing on verses 15 to 18. He says, my prayer... Again, he's praying to his Father in heaven, praying for us. is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Now, the word sanctify here just most simply means, you know, bring them to a completion. God, what you started in them, make sure that that comes to a completion before you take them from this place and do it through your word. As you have sent me into the world. Now, notice this, and this is the real key phrase here. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, I read this and I think, okay, so we're not of this world. So where does that leave us? Where do we fall into this? Well, you can look to Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Here's what he says. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. See, we are exiles in this place today because our citizenship is in heaven. We are exiles and we eagerly await a savior from there. Now, this is powerful language in Paul's day. All right, Paul is writing to these people in Philippi. Uh, Philippi was a distant colony of this great nation, uh, the Roman Empire, the city of Rome. And most of the Philippians would never see Rome in their lifetime, but they enjoyed the full benefits of being known and considered as Roman citizens, again, of the most powerful empire in the world, the Roman Empire. And Paul reminds them that as Christians, their greatest loyalty is not to Rome but that as followers of Jesus, their greatest loyalty is to heaven. You know, as wonderful as Roman citizenship may be, as Christ followers, they were first and foremost citizens of heaven. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, your greatest allegiance in this world isn't to the Caesar. Your greatest allegiance is to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And then Peter is writing to people like you and me too, again, continuing in this same language. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, here's what he says. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Now, if you take the word aliens, the Greek word here is paroikos. Uh, it means uh, to a people living in a place that's not their true home. And then he uses the word strangers, which is another Greek word that means a visitor that is spending temporary time in a foreign place. And and so he's talking about you and me. He's talking about God's people as exiles living in this world, citizens of heaven. And what does he say? He says, to abstain from sinful desires. That while you're living in this place, as you're living as a foreigner, as an alien in this strange land, to abstain from sinful desires. Don't just blend in. You know, seek obedience with your life. Seek holiness with your life. Don't be satisfied in just giving in and doing what everyone else is doing around you. You know, we all have these sinful desires in us. I mean, we're all faced with temptation. You know, we're all bound to fail from time to time. But these sinful desires that he's talking about, which war against your soul. I mean, have you ever noticed that, how sin just wars against your soul on the inside? I mean, these, they battle against our souls. I mean, in this way, Satan is continually waging war, not only against the name of Jesus Christ, but he's waging war against us too, but as as Exiles in this place as followers of jesus christ as citizens in heaven because of jesus and because of the power of the holy spirit We can put away those desires and we can choose a better way of living But through the power of the spirit each of us can choose a path of obedience We can choose a life that honors god and his name on earth, which leads then to our living You know, what does that look like? How should we live then according to peter? We'll look at the next verse here verse 12. He says live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So how should we live? You know, Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans. And when he says pagans, he's just talking about anyone who's far from God here, that they accuse you of doing wrong. Now, I just think it's interesting to stop there and note that 2,000 years ago, the name of Jesus Christ was cause for great persecution and great intolerance in this land. You know, blame the Christians, blame the church. Why? Well, it's like Jesus and Peter described here with these couple of verses. It's a battle. That there's a battle taking place in this world. And it's not a battle between Christ followers and those who are far from God. It's a battle between good and evil. I mean, it's a battle between the name of Jesus Christ and Satan himself. You know, just a little side note here. You know, the name of Jesus Christ caused a bunch of controversy 2,000 years ago and Isn't it funny, coincidental, that even 2,000 years later, the name of Jesus Christ is still the cause of so much controversy and intolerance in our workplaces, in our governments, in our schools? And again, I just want to point out this morning that, you know, as followers of Jesus, we haven't always done the best um, in representing our Savior. And so sometimes, you know, we bring some of that intolerance on ourselves. But other times, too, I would say that, I don't know if we're really to blame, but on the other side of things, it's more of the reality of what Jesus and Peter are talking about here, that there's a battle that's taking place even still today between the name of Jesus Christ and Satan himself and the very cause, the very root of that evil and that intolerance in this world is Satan. And that's the world that we're living in as exiles, as followers of Jesus. And you know, and Peter says, live good, such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I mean, with these words, you know, Peter reminds us that good deeds make a difference. You know, and so we've got people living as exiles 2,600 years ago. But fast forward to the New Testament and things don't change much. The terminology doesn't change much. You know, we're like exiles living in a temporary place. But while temporary, it's not by accident that God has us in this place for these times for a reason and for a purpose. And, and Peter reminds us of the importance of living good lives today. You know, a life filled with good deeds and, and, and contrary to what some may say or contrary to what someone may taught you or and maybe even another church taught you, you know, living as a Christ follower doesn't mean you isolate yourself in this so-called pagan world. It doesn't mean that you go into hiding. It doesn't mean that we sit around, you know, in hiding, waiting for Jesus Christ to return. We are sent people. And that means that while we are here, while we are living in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our communities, we're praying for God's work. We're praying for his restoration. We're helping our schools and our office places experience the values of God's kingdom and of the work that he wants to do, values like peace and hope and love and generosity and justice. That's the way of an exile. Exile. And that's the life that these people were called to 2,600 years ago and 2,000 years ago and the life that you and I are called to today. Loving your community means that you love God so much that you're willing to live your life in a way that positively impacts someone else. You know, we know that one day Jesus Christ will return. But until then, we are people. We are a church on a mission. And as Christians and as a church, we're doing all that we can to bring a little bit of heaven to this earth. And that's the role, that's the plan that God has for us. The second word that I want to give you is the word peace. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. But you might want to just add to that not only the word peace, but also the word prosperity. Uh, Jeremiah talks about people living as exiles, but he also talks about what it means for you and me to work towards peace and prosperity as the English language uh, reads. Now, I told you that I was going to give you three words, so I guess I'm sort of giving you four when you add them all up in the end. But, but I, t- I picked two words here rather than one because in, in, the, English, in, in the Hebrew language, peace and prosperity, which we'll see uh, in this context is really one word, and, and it's the Hebrew word shalom. Now, you've heard people use the word shalom as a way of greeting one another or saying goodbye to someone else. But shalom is much more than a greeting. And and the simplest definition of the word shalom is the word peace. Now, when I think about the word peace, I think about the absence of war, the absence of conflict. But that's why the words peace and prosperity are used here and even in the English translation because we don't get peace. You know, peace doesn't cut it for us. And so it's the word peace and prosperity, but it's one Hebrew word, it's the word shalom which translated peace. Uh, look at verse 7 again in Jeremiah 27, 29, 7. He says, also seek the peace and prosperity. Again, that's the word shalom. Seek shalom in the city to which I have carried you in Texas. So God wants us, he wants these people to bring shalom into the city, to bring shalom into our neighborhoods, to bring shalom into this world. And for us to understand this word as God understands it, then we've got to understand what shalom really means. I was reading a pastor this past week who described shalom like this. He said, imagine if you would a piece of fabric you know, a beautiful piece of fabric. And if you were to, to look at it, to imagine that piece of fabric being woven together by, by thousands, if not tens of thousands of threads. And, and, you know, in and of itself, you know, thread, you know, might look nice. It might be a valuable thread, but, but it doesn't add to much when it's just a spool of thread. But when you, when you take these threads and you interweave them all together, you know, the expertly, the intricate weaving, again, all these threads coming together to form a beautiful fabric. That's what shalom looks like. That, that's the role of Christians. That's the role of followers of Jesus living in this world, working together in our schools, in our workplaces, in the name of Jesus Christ, a church helping to bring shalom to the city uh, in which it's called. You know, I'm a big fan of Tim Keller. And Tim Keller is a pastor in Manhattan, New York. He's a popular writer and speaker. And I love what he says about his church in New York City. And I quote here, he says, we're not here to make a great church. We're here to make a great city. You know, they love God, they, they love their community, and they're seeking God's shalom for New York City. You know, I, I just want you to know this morning that our goal as a church isn't to just see how many people we can get here. Our, our goal, our mission as a church is transformed lives. Uh, it, it's transformed lives. It, it's a transformed community. And evidence of transformed lives are, are people who are willing to live for Christ uh, in everything that they do, that we don 't clock in and clock out, that we all we are people sent, we are always on mission, and, and as a church, we want to bring peace and prosperity to this community, this world we live in I mean we 're going to bring God, God Shalom you know to everyone that we come in contact with um, this morning when you came in. Uh, there's a good chance you received this little handout here. And if you've got one, why don't you just take it and hold it in your hand, and maybe you've got to share with the person next to you. We've, we've got plenty more, so if you leave today and you didn't get one of these, uh, you can pick one of these up. Um, we, we put this piece together uh, intentionally for this series as a way of um, encouraging you, uh, as a way of inspiring you, as a way of helping you understand and see what we Collectively have been up to as a church and and even as we look ahead part of god's plan for us And and what he may want to do through some of these partnerships that are coming together But here's something else that I hope you'll do with, with something like this I hope you'll take it and maybe use it as a prayer tool and as you have your prayer times that maybe you'll use this as you read through and think about your part as you pray for our church, as you pray for the different organizations that we're partnering with. And, and, and I'll, you can take the time to look through this on your own if you haven't already. But if you kind of go to the middle, uh, there's a two-page spread there that lists a number of the organizations that over the past year we've been working with partnering with, supporting financially, uh, helping to bring peace and prosperity to this community, to central Indiana, and even beyond, you know, to a place like Haiti and other places too. Uh, One of the uh, organizations that we're partnering with as a church, again, to help bring peace and prosperity to Noblesville and Hamilton County is Bethel Lutheran Church Food Pantry. And you'll often find in your worship program that we're collecting goods to help support their food pantry right here in Noblesville. And not only are we collecting goods, but as a church, we financially support on a monthly basis uh, the work that Bethel Lutheran is doing. Rather than start our own food pantry, we came alongside of them because they're doing a great work. And again, it's a part of the way that we're helping to bring God's shalom, God's peace and prosperity to people in need. Another organization is Convoy of Hope. And and we all remember this past spring when uh, the great earthquake happened in Japan and the tsunamis that followed. Uh, And so Convoy of Hope is an organization that we're partnering with. We sent $12,000 as a church right after that tragedy as a way of supporting again bringing peace and prosperity contributing to the work that god is doing uh, Faith hope and love was this past week and many of you uh, May have served with us on wednesday as again as we are partnering with other churches Reaching out to people in need right here in our very own community again peace and prosperity god shalom uh, frontiers uh, Frontiers is focused on reaching muslim people and there's a young couple david and carrie hartman that we've been supporting for the past year Through their training and uh, this jam- January, they will be leaving to go to Central Asia full-time again supporting their work of bringing peace and prosperity to the people they come in contact with. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the video uh, from former Genesis pastor, Jeff Smith, as he's planted a church in, in southern Missouri, again, coming alongside of them in our prayers and in our support, but also financially in the work that they're doing to help people find their way back to God. Uh, two weeks ago, we, we packed 20,000 food packs here in the building with Kids Against Hunger, Again, a way of providing peace and prosperity, contributing to the work that God is doing, his shalom, you know, here locally and even beyond. Nehemiah Vision Ministries, you know, again, a team of 11 leaving this Tuesday. We'll support them in our prayers. We'll support them by sending resources. Uh, We'll send other teams. Again, we'll continue supporting financially the work of NVM. Again, a way of providing peace and prosperity. Uh, New thing. A new thing is a a, a partnership of churches all across the country and even beyond, churches that are committed to new churches and church planting and multiplication, and and we're supporting new churches financially, and we're looking ahead to the day that we plant our first campus or plant our first church. Again, that's a part of bringing peace and prosperity. Uh, And finally, the World Race is another group that we've been involved with this past year, supporting a young woman from this church uh, named Carmen Oswalt, as she has been helping to bring peace and prosperity to the others. Again, it's a way of serving. But the one thing that I want to point out to you today, and you'll read a little bit about this in your worship program, is that we have an opportunity as a church, again, to help bring peace and prosperity to some families in need uh, right here in our own neighborhoods, and that's through a backpack drive. Now, uh, if you're a student, you may not like the reality that school's coming. And uh, my kids don't, but, it, but it's coming quickly. And with that means backpacks and school supplies. And while we might take that for granted, there are a number of families where this is a real challenge, uh, even to get something as simple as a backpack and school supplies together. And so here's what we've done. We purchased 150 backpacks. Uh, We've got a team of people that have done a great work going around to our local schools and helping to identify needs and to help identify students in need. And so today, after our service, you have the opportunity to walk out these doors over here to the garage where we've got a table set up and you can pick up a backpack. Now, you don't get to keep it. You can hold on to it for a week, but we want you to bring it back filled. And we've helped you out in that. Attached to every backpack is a little card that lists off the school supplies needed for a particular child. And if you take this and fill it up and bring it back next Sunday, we're gonna make sure that it gets to the appropriate school, which will make sure that it gets to the appropriate child. And we want you to help us in it. So we've set a goal of 150 bags. I know that we can do that. Again, it's one way that you and I Uh, Can contribute to the work that god's doing uh, even in a place right here in noblesville Um, You know next page over in this if you're looking at that center page is is just you know, how can I help? Uh, What can you and I do because you know, this isn't the end for us with I heart. This is the beginning Uh, This is a continuation and you know, there are things that we can all do I mean, how can you extend shalom to others? Well, you can give uh, You can contribute financially. It's why we take an offering here every week. It's saying god. I trust you I'm giving you thanks for what you've given to me and I'm contributing to the work that you wanna do through me. Uh, there are plenty of opportunities to serve and one of the roles of our missions and outreach team is to help provide opportunities for you to serve so that you can taste it you know, and experience it for yourself and have your heart broken you know, and turn around and be changed and be used by God in great ways. Uh, you can go and you can be a part of a different project or you can be a part of a trip to Haiti. Um, you can pray and we're gonna talk about that in just a second because our prayers count and they matter, um, but you can love. And and that's really the whole goal of this entire series, again, is to pray, God, would you give me a heart like yours? Uh, Would you give me a heart to love the way that you love? Would you give me eyes to see what you see? Because I I think when we finally get this right and realize that missions for us isn't a program, it isn't just one or two months a year that we emphasize when we really see it as a lifestyle, when we see it as our mission as a church, and when you and I see it that we are a sent people, that we are on mission from God, is what does it mean to have a heart like God's? And I think when we finally get this right, you know, as we're growing in this, I think we've come a long way, but we've got a long ways to go. It's when you and I every day are just identifying opportunities around us to share God's love with others. You know, whether that means volunteering or sharing your faith or, or praying for someone in need, you know, you helping someone and no one will ever know about it except our God in heaven. You know, writer Dave Gibbons encourages churches to move away from measuring success simply on Sunday morning attendance. And he believes that that churches, he believes it's important for churches to measure success in their community with things like identifying the fact that fewer people are poor and fewer are lonely and outcasts, that there are fewer people living lost and meaningless and hopeless lives, that there are fewer divorces, that there are fewer kids without an education, that there are fewer singles looking for love in all the wrong places, that not only should we measure our success on baptisms and attendance, and as important as these may be, but we're also measuring our success and our contribution and our role as a church by these things too. You know, let's just be honest and say we don't have this all figured out yet We don't have this missional type of living and what it means to be a church on mission figure out We're just getting started and we've got a lot of work to do But we are a church on mission and we are followers of jesus christ And he has called us to these great purposes in our world You know, I remember hearing about one pastor a pastor. Uh, his name is rick rusaw a pastor from the denver area uh, A while back and he asked his church this question if our church disappeared tomorrow would anyone notice my prayer, my desire for us, for this church, is that we will make such a contribution to the people that we're living around that if for whatever reason we disappeared one day, our community would notice. And you're helping in that. And I want to encourage you to, to keep on going. The last thing, the last word is this. Uh, it's the word pray. Pray. Again, in Jeremiah 27, it talks about seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, the community which you live in, but it also says pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And this is just a reminder to you and I that we can pray for our community. We can pray for the people around us. And, and I know that praying might not sound like a big deal. All right, it might even sit down, sound like a letdown of sorts, but God says pray for the peace and prosperity of your community. And, and that may not seem like a very inspiring action step, as we bring this to a close, and and I can understand that because you read this and say, "No, I need to do something. Tell me what to do. Tell me the program. Tell me the next steps that I ought to take." But God says, "Don't forget to pray for your community, and not prayer is an afterthought, not prayer as this. You're in my thoughts and prayers. Kind of a cop out, you know." But one of the most important theologians of the 20th century, a guy by the name of Carl Bart, uh, listened to what he said about prayer. He says, "To clasp hands in prayer." Is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world He is saying prayer has a power that is beyond our understanding And so god says god's reminder for us is to pray for our community and he's talking to every one of us And, And no matter what you think you may have to offer or don't have to offer to people around you One of the ways that you can show love for your community your neighborhoods is to pray for them to pray for your schools Uh, to pray for your neighbors, to pray for your police officers, and to pray for firefighters, to pray for your government officials, to pray for those who are without work. And you start praying, and I guarantee you that one thing that you'll see change in your life over time is this. It'll be you. Because God uses prayer to change you. He He uses prayer to change me. And, And even this morning, I was riding my bike here. I'm going green. So I rode my bike to church this morning. Gas is just way too high. I was riding my bike to, to church and it was dark out. It was great. I saw like four cars, you know, in between my house and here. And, and I was just kind of praying through this a little bit because I got some work to do in this area of praying for my community. But I know that I need to pray for my community, that I'm called by God to pray for Noblesville. You pray for your community. Because God not only wants to change his community, but he wants to keep changing me too. He wants to keep changing you too. And so I want to challenge you to pray. And and that's how we're going to end right now. We're going to pray. And so I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. We'll just give you a few moments and uh, maybe give you a few things to pray through uh, before we conclude. Uh, Maybe start by praying right now. Pray that God will give you the eyes to see uh, people the way that he sees. Maybe take a moment and pray that God will give you a heart of compassion for those living and working around you right now. He'll do it. Pray for a heart of compassion. Would you pray right now that God will use you? You have no idea the plans and purposes that God has for your life. I pray that you're discovering that, but I pray that you'll see greater days ahead of you. Pray that God will use you. He'll show you what that looks like and how to live and the words to say and how to use your time and give you a heart of generosity. Pray that God will use you. you know, as you're praying right now and thinking about your own life. You know, one of the things that might be absent is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's hard to do these good deeds in the name of Jesus if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can do that right now and Just in your own seat you can say god. I need you. I need your son jesus. I need his forgiveness in my life God sent his son jesus into this world so that we could have life and hope and forgiveness and receive his grace and his mercy And if that's you right now and you want to invite jesus christ into your life Just as a way of acknowledging that maybe just slip your hand up right now saying i'm i'm inviting jesus into my life this morning I need him I see it. I'm taking it for myself. I'm receiving that forgiveness You can pray god. I need you again. I need your forgiveness Thank you for jesus as my lord and savior and god I pray that you will use our church. That You will continue using our church You would give us a great passion uh, for people around us people beyond this place people that you've called us to and in different countries and Would you give us a heart like yours? Would you give us eyes to see as you see? Would you use us, Lord, and use this church? You know, we are a sent people, and we want to give honor and praise to your name in all that we do. And we pray this in the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.